0: Greetings, we're glad you've returned to the Black and Grimm podcast, an original horror fiction performance. Come in, come in. I am Mr. Black, narrator and host of our beloved podcast. Tonight, it is my dark pleasure to share another chapter for season one. Grimm has been hard at work. Utilizing all the dark arts at his disposal to provide you with another thrilling peek into Danny Preston's life. Can he plunge forward with this youthful perseverance or fail? Gather close, for you will not want to miss episode 7 of Danny's River. Trust comes cheaply to those who demand it. Four of us, tied together by bonds of murder (sighs) and… who the fuck knows what else. Miranda, sitting at the table, her service revolver clutched tightly in small, yet powerful hands. Scott at the door, holding it open, shielding us from the woman on the wooden stoop even as he beckoned her inside. Kara, wanting in though for what reason, I couldn't fathom. And me, bandaged in excruciating misery and absolutely clueless as to what was going on. (sighs) Hell, it made for an interesting sitcom. I entertained this foolish notion that everything would work out. We'd catch the bad guy and I'd get the girl. Pain spasmed through me with a none-too-subtle reminder that the villain eluded capture, and to my dismay, I doubted I'd be getting the girl. Life doesn't work out like the movies after all. That being said, Kara entered the room, stormy eyes cast not on me, but Miranda. The tension felt palpable, like we could scoop it away with a spoon. Well, this is fun, I didn't know what else to say. However. As soon as the words left my mouth, my face reddened with embarrassment, and I stared down at my wringing hands. Scott closed the door, shutting us all in together. It didn't occur to me to question how she knew we'd be there. More, it didn't occur to me to ask her why she knew to come to the side door which opened to the breakfast nook we were situated in. Not so for Miranda, she asked the questions. I assume you're the girlfriend. Do you mind telling me why you're here?" Distrust enjoyed a broken facsimile of courtesy. To punctuate her question, the petite officer lifted her slender arm and placed a gun, its hammer cocked, on the tabletop. I think you need to sit down. Scott, are there additional chairs anywhere in the house? Scott's eyes darted from face to face, though it lingered questioningly or mine the longest finally when I proved not very helpful he said we can move to the dining room there are more chairs there and uh, it'd just be easier for us to talk there that is fine Daniel will you escort your friend she spoke coolly without diverting her hard stare from Kara calmly gingerly she held her gun ready to fire on one of us Perhaps it was my pain and medication adult brain, but I felt thrust in the midst of a Mexican standoff. Someone mind telling me what's going on? Scott asked. I appreciated that his unease seemed to match my own. I'll tell you when we're settled around the dining room table, all cozy like longtime friends. A professional callousness, similar to the first time I'd ever heard Miranda's voice drifted through the kitchen. It induced shivers through me, reminding me of childhood's wrongdoings. Scott followed closely behind, but there existed no doubt who wielded control. I must have missed something significant during my hospital stay. Danny, Kara started. Hush, I whispered, not wishing to anger the woman with the gun. Finally, we settled down around the dining room table. Beyond the situation's oddity, it felt strange sitting at a table the Lattimore's rarely used except for special occasions, which, come to think of it, this certainly was. I sat down at my customary spot, which was the back corner, with the bay windows at my back. Scott sat down next to me. Miranda settled into the empty chair on my other side, leaving Kara alone, seated opposite us. Okay. Miranda started. She lowered the revolver onto the tablecloth, a flowery spread with daffodils and other vibrant floral patterns, and searched each of our faces. After doing a once-over, her stony gaze held Kara's blank one. Without averting her gaze, she spoke to me. Daniel? Danny, I have to share information with you, but there's an anomaly in this house. Uh, A factor that does not belong. Do you understand? You mean her. Yes, I mean her. She should not occupy a space within this house. It, angrily, Kara blurted out. Look, you bitch, I'm right fucking here. If you have a problem, go fucking head and address it. But don't act like you're all part of some quasi-cartoon sleuth gang. You got that? Mentally noting how quickly she had grown hostile, I swiftly contemplated recent events. Ever the hero, I dove into the river to save her. I brought my terror, my heartache, and a serial killer into her life. We both wound up in the same hospital because he had tried to… No, Todd Wilkinson succeeded in running us off the road. Adding all these together, why wouldn't she grow angry at a stranger's accusatory tone? Wait. How did you know I was picking Danny up from the hospital, or where I was heading for that matter?" Scott's normally soothing tone adopted questioning menace. He leaned over the table, closing the distance between Kara and himself by half. Your mom wasn't the only friend Mama has at the hospital, she said to me. To Scott, she added, and you aren't the most stealthy driver. I've been here before, remember? And once I guess your general direction? It wasn't hard to piece things together. As to why I wanted to come, I was in the wreck too. I could have been killed too. And fuck me running if I don't give a shit! An oppressive silence pressed down upon us. Scott and I exchanged chagrined looks as Miranda's downcast eyes remained on her firearm. We felt the artist's eyes scour us. We sensed the heat waft from her with each sweep of her head. But, we offered no apology, only silent accusations and pupating distrust. Miranda eventually concluded whatever internal struggle she had been having. She slid the revolver close to her before removing her hands to fold them on the table. It had the effect of encircling the piece with her torso as the rear guard. Very well. What you say is logical. I am curious, however. What was your experience in the car crash like? I understand the two of you were in your personal automobile. I also understand that Todd would have had to reach through the driver's window to get at either of you. You have bruises and cuts, as we can also see the bandaging. But all things considered, you, who would have been within arm's reach of a man who, to our knowledge, has violently murdered three different people, have walked away essentially unscathed. It was a terrifying experience. Be that as it may, you don't like me very much. My feelings towards you are not relevant to my inquiry. While I can agree these two are impulsive and generally lacking proper survival instincts, it does not discount some things that seem to... She paused, searching for the correct word. Coincidental. We remained in silence. Part of me wanted to reach out to place a comforting hand over Caris, Another, increasingly cynical piece, demanded answers without the coy trappings of circumstance. Plagued by these dual desires, I merely lowered my aching fist to my lap, settled deeper into my seat, and waited for whatever happened next. Perhaps cowardice prevented me from taking sides, but I think we had ventured into new territory and both these women harbored secrets we needed answers to. Kara's expression transformed into a hateful mask. Even so, she eventually spoke. I know some of what my mom told Danny. Most of it, actually. I... I don't really know where you can find the place she was talking about. You know, the town in the mountains, out past Black Mountain. She had the decency to look abashed at this. So, you've started off as a liar. The fucker hurt me too, Kara cried. He totaled my truck, and you can see all the damn bandages. I didn't exactly walk away unscathed. I have mentioned your wounds. It has not escaped me that you have yet to answer my question. Coldness. Miranda showed no softening of demeanor as the conversation progressed. I will ask again. What was your experience in the car crash like?" I found myself asking, Miranda, why does it matter? She was there, terrified, and he could have killed us both. Miranda regarded me as one might a particularly unpleasant splotch of mold. She sat quietly for a long moment. Long enough, I thought she might ignore my question. Then, to my surprise, she said, How did Todd know where you were? How did he know the specific vehicle to target? Scott has told me the car landed in a storefront, with the passenger side, your side, wedged against the floor. Additionally, shelving blocked the windshield. We can assume that she... Here she motioned to Kara, whose body trembled with silent rage, still had her seatbelt on when the truck settled on its side with the final roll. We can also assume, based on gathered intel, her side window had been shattered. Todd has proved highly resourceful and willing to go to great lengths to maintain his place in your personal narrative. So why then did he not pull her into open air? Do these clarify why it matters, Danny? Slowly, I realized what was going on. Miranda suspected that Kara was Wilkinson's accomplice. On the heels of this epiphany, I also understood there wasn't a great answer for any of these questions, at least not one she could easily prove. I need some water. I croaked, nervously. Scott, man, will you get me some? Sure, man. Want ice? Seemingly innocuous and not relevant to the current situation, this served to give us some breathing room. When we were kids, Scott and I… Fucking Trent too, the bastard. Devised the code when things were getting too tense for us. Ask for a glass of water. When the other asked about ice, it meant the proverbial shit was, in all probability, hitting the fan. And, to make the metaphor even cruder, slinging all over the place. Fill the cup, ice and all. With a nod, Scott retreated to the kitchen. Neither woman seemed to notice. I don't know why he didn't try to kill me. Kara said, quietly, almost thoughtfully. Danny's told me some of the messed up shit Todd's done. I don't know how he knew where to find us. I mean hell, I didn't know Danny was coming to my house until he showed up. It's not like I could have orchestrated anything. And how does my truck getting totaled, which could have killed me by the way, play into this narrative that I'm his minion? Point taken, Miranda answered, softening only slightly. But why are you here? I wanted to help. Help with what? Miranda cast an unreadable expression my way. Her glasses slipped down her nose, forcing her to peer over them, to scour me with some internal scales. She wouldn't wholly trust Kara. However, as Scott returned with a sweating glass of water, I wondered how close to the end she'd see this narrative. Because life is a narrative, you know. Just uh, not always a good one. After looking at me, Miranda said, "Never mind. You wish to help, but for now, I need to speak to Danny alone." Why? Why? Kara, Scott, and I simultaneously asked. Meeting each of our eyes in turn, she said, "Because he needs to know why I am here. Scott, I have told you some, as I have brought trouble into your home. Regardless." I must tell him something meant for his ears only. Whatever you have to tell me, they can hear too. No. But, no! Despite being much smaller than me, I entertained the distinct suspicion she could beat the ever-loving crap out of me if she wanted to. I sipped then drained my water, before looking over to Scott, who had remained standing after handing over the glass. He held his own cup to his lips though his eyes tilted towards his feet. No help there. No refusal. So much for the ice. I swiveled my head to Kara. Resentment flourished on her face, yet she remained quiet too. We'll be outside. Scott drained his cup and motioned for Kara to accompany him. Grudgingly, she rose and shoved past us. I wondered if she'd leave. Finally, after a door slammed, We sat alone, at a dining room table where two families had once shared laughter, stories, and delicious meals. My fingers traced the glass, and my eyes bore into its recess, as if sheer willpower might usher forth water to engulf the clinking ice. A moment passed while I delved deeper into my own thoughts. Fingers tapping against the table's surface dragged me from them. Do you know what the word palaver means, Danny? Nope. Among other things, it means a long parley, discussion between two groups. This is a loose interpretation, but fitting to our purposes. I wish to palaver with you. A weightiness settled over her words as she slid her weapon away. Not towards me, but towards the side of the table opposite where I sat. Without waiting for a response, she continued. I did not go to the police station. Before you ask, I meant to do so. Truly, Yet, I opted to venture home first. She trailed off, her voice adopting a musing tone, and looked towards the nearby window. I glimpsed pain reflected in her glasses, A betrayal of her absolutes. What happened at your house? This simplest of questions, a mere servant of plot devices, seemed like the only appropriate response. Miranda didn’t immediately answer. Instead, she stood, shoving the revolver in its holster at her chest. My attention gravitated towards the swift movement, and, absurdly, an image struck me. Some hard-boiled police detective, willing to buck the system she believed in to catch her man. Conflicting emotions struck me. Fear and awe. Fear at this person who, rather than surrendering to a crooked system, seemed willing to play at any cost, and awe at a warrior who, despite knowing the odds stacked against her, continued to fight. She lingered next to the table, for a second or eternity, I can't say. When the quiet extended well beyond uncomfortable levels, and entered the realm of torture, I started to ask my question again. However, as my lips parted, as my tongue lolled outward to free the wretched words, Miranda said, He waited for me, you know, waited outside my house, as if we were old friends, or lovers. Who? I asked, thinking she meant Todd. Chief, he just sat there, on the top step, with his hands dangling between his knees. He didn't see me, but he wasn't supposed to be there anyway. No. Not supposed to be sitting on my front porch. A haunted gleam passed over her eyes, clouding them as they stole focus. My own thoughts fled to memories of Walt, dead on my own steps, and Mom's final conversation with me. A shiver, like dead men walking over my inner grave, passed over me. What did your mother tell you, Danny? You never told me. You never told me, but I think I know. See, the chief wasn't paying attention when I parked my car in the neighbor's driveway. She's on a cruise, so it was unlikely my actions would inconvenience her. He wasn't paying attention when I crossed her yard, cutting through the bushes to reach my backyard, nor when I slipped into my house and crept towards the front. Did you kill him? Answer my question. I will answer yours, but please, tell me what your mother told you. She told me three things. Mom said someone with power, and with authority, had to have been involved for Todd's letters to her to ever see the light of day. She told me Todd has this, he wants me, and if that wasn't enough, she told me he had eaten parts of my dad. Through all this, I watched Miranda's head bob up and down, as if I confirmed things she already knew. Speaking them out loud made me sick. My stomach heaved, and a burning wetness forced up my throat and into my nostrils. As I thought, to answer your question, yes, I killed him. Shock seems such a pitiful word. It doesn't quite encompass some revelations. The bald truth trapped me in my seat, my hands locked around my warming glass. My eyes trained on her stoic expression. My own features molded with slackness as her own morphed with staunch resolution. She removed her glasses and pressed thumb and forefinger to the bridge of her nose. This simple act shattered the spell. I did not murder him, although there is no reason for you to accept that for truth. He did not see me, I thought. Never in all my life have I been so wrong. He knew I didn't go to the station. Word had been left that I was to be relieved of duty on site and detained for questioning as an accomplice for your family's murder. With the right people, though. To most, I was resigning my position in response to... Well, the reasons do not matter. Either version was... Is... A lie. I wanted my friend to come back inside. Miranda couldn't have told him this. He wouldn't allow a murderer to hide out in his mom's house, not with all this shit about Todd Wilkinson circling the proverbial drain. But he did allow her into his home, and he wasn't coming inside. As I stood inside my home, looking through the door at a man I respected? No, at a man I loved. He placed a cell on the floor beside him, his back straightened, and he cocked his head, as if listening for something. Then, he spoke to me. Do you want to know what he said, Danny? Do you want to know what the Chief said before I put a bullet in the back of his head? Yes. Monsters are real, Miranda. They don't just hide in the shadows, and they'll eat you. They'll eat you as you scream for your god to save you. We've tried to keep a leash on him. We thought giving him time and confinement would curb desire for the boy his letters, his petty games. Nothing. So we'll wipe the slate clean. We'll let him have Danny." She paused, visibly sick. He said these things to me, Danny. And dear God, he said more. I watched her, trying not to believe while already accepting. Did he deserve to die? He deserved the bullet I gave him, she answered. Her cheeks glistened with fresh tears. Miranda's lips trembled and she grabbed a chair to keep her knees from buckling. Why are you crying? Because he told me to kill him. And because instead of taking him in or questioning him more, I opened my door, placed my weapon against the back of his skull and pulled the trigger. Damn. Wow. Okay. I was flabbergasted. Hell! After everything I’d seen and heard over the last couple weeks, I wasn’t even sure this was close to the worst. I will leave recourse in your hands, Danny. If you wish me to turn myself in for murder, I will do so. If you trust me, if you will believe that I did not murder him, rather, I was compelled to execute a monster, one he spoke of, then I will go with you to the mountains. We know that is your destination. And I've promised to help you find answers. Regardless, I will abide by your decision. Why would you do that? Because, she started, monsters are real. And Todd Wilkinson belongs to a, a species who consume human flesh. Not just cannibalism, as they would need to be human for us to consider them as cannibals. And I think you will find more truth in Appalachia than memories and newspaper clippings. And I would offer a final bit of advice. Beware that girl. I know of her mother, and of the same caliber, she is not. Call it a cop's instincts, though I was wrong about my captain, so perhaps my instincts are not as sharp as I would like to believe. Maybe I should have called the police, turned in this confessed killer, and accept whatever judgments followed. But. When I listened to them, my instincts aren't typically wrong. My hands parted in acceptance as my head nodded concession. I dared no speech lest my tongue betray me with feeble accusations. I needed her. Moreover, any chatter about the police chief's death hadn't reached social media or even the news, so someone else plucked the strings. or what she told me held mostly lies. Back to my instincts. They said to accept Miranda. So I did. With one condition. All four of us would head to the mountains in search of answers. Several hours later, I hunched in the passenger seat of Scott's sedan. His hands tightly gripped the wheel. So tight, I heard skin crackle. The women rode in the back seat, arms folded, each glaring out their respective windows. I had offered to sit in the back, to allow them even the slightest distance from one another. Naturally, they refused. Without realizing it, Scott and I staggered into a woman's version of the pissing contest. Unlike men, theirs seemed rife with silence. Honestly, it made the whole ordeal tedious. Music selections met with grunts or scowls, pit stops to fill the gas tanks and empty bladders transpired with distrustful glowers and more silence. Scott and I exchanged heated words about Miranda. I revealed most of what she said and he, in his most patronizingly reasonable tone, reminded me what we had seen on the video. When left to my own thoughts, I struggled with allowing Kara to join us. I didn't reach Miranda's level of distrust, but I hadn't forgotten her mother's words. I felt, as coasts flattened out into farmland, only to lift skyward with rich green peaks, I'd added too many pieces to my inner landscape. I had a name, Hoplins Cove, and a general, not altogether helpful direction in mind. Appalachia is a massive place, even partitioned across multiple states. There were too many horror movies involving hillbillies and backwoods in my past. The memory brought elevated anxiety. There were these people with me, only one whom I completely trusted, but each posited some foolish wish to aid this ill-advised trip. Finally, the amulet pressed against my hip, where it filled one pocket alongside a pocket knife previously owned by my dad. The heavy wood comforted me, somewhat and a curious warmness ebbed outward from where it sat. You guys are driving me nuts with how loud you're not talking. I finally blurted after another hour pass, without even conversation's bare bones. This trip is hard enough, but I'll throw all your asses out and go on by myself. My outburst reverberated throughout the otherwise muted car. Then, without taking his eyes from the road ahead, Scott said, No can do, brother man. This is my baby you would be doing the walking. I tried to gauge my friend's words, to dissect them, to determine whether they carried the same trepidation I felt or... Unexpectedly, a bell-like giggle drifted from the back seat, followed by a huskier, even richer chuckle. My eyes narrowed suspiciously as I watched my friend's shoulders start to tremble, then quake. His own basso laughter filled the cab opening a slight gash for joy to slip in. Caught off guard as I was, it took longer to join than might otherwise have been the case. Soon, though. Soon, we all laughed together. And, in retrospect, I think our laughter inevitably succumbed to a far less joyous sound. In the end, not seeing it at the time, ours was the laughter of hysteria. Nonetheless, against all odds, we managed to break the ice and share respite, if only for the faintest breath of time. As they say, preceding every storm, there is a calm. For us, this proved both figurative and literal. In truth, I doubt we were prepared for either. Imagine, if you can, crisp blue sky fanned across a seemingly infinite skyline. Imagine a gentle wind affectionately tussling the trees as it skipped down the mountains. Next, add a hawk's harsh, yet somehow majestic screech as it flits over the brilliant green canopies. How about the loving rise and fall of the mountains? Nature's breast, heaving, breathing us in. This sight, this simple, unassuming taste of eternity, as we step from our vehicle on one of the Appalachian Mountains' many overlooks. Kara stood next to me, peering off into the bountiful wonder, and I entertained the fleeting notion to take her hand in mine. Such beauty! Out there where men haven't found every mystery, she said, quietly, almost to herself. The artist's arms dangled at her sides, but I noticed how her fingers twitched, a mimicry of brushstrokes far away eyes engorged on the expanse of landscape, stripping away humanity's disrespecting fingerprints. I turned to leave Kara to imagination in its unflinching embrace with the wild world. When she spoke again, the good book tells us that on the seventh day, God rested. Perhaps he did, yet where he would rest, two lesser beings deigned to continue his work. Nature The mother of the trees and beasts, of the roots and water, cultivated his kingdom. The other is a nameless thing, or, rather, its name has been lost to eons. It devours what its god has created. It scorns what nature has nurtured. And, in its way, this nameless thing thrives in a way that others do not. Spellbound, I listened to the words flow from her. My paltry imagination struggled to see the tapestry woven by her own. The task proved too gargantuan. Silently, I stood and listened. Vaguely, I sensed my other companions as they joined me to listen. Across the horizon, royal blue yielded to an ugly gray. The air turned colder, unwelcoming. Still, we listened as Kara, whom we trust at least, Continued. As we did so, I thought her demeanor seemed to change, like the person hollowed out to become no more than a mouthpiece. How does it thrive? You were wise to ask. How does its God not smite it as he did all who defied him before, as he did the morning star, as he will the Leviathan? Its God watches over all to be part of while separate. Nature must be attended, must be nurtured. This thing, which is no longer a nameless thing, withstands all, because it is no longer a single unnamed thing. You have seen one of its forms, Danny. And you, Miranda. And yes, you too, Scott. The amulet pulsated in my pocket. Its intensity grew as Kara continued talking. I wanted to jerk it free, to fling it from my pocket before its magic managed to scathe me. But a rhythm mingled with the sensation. It tapped a warning in my mind. A warning to heed these words. Perhaps it was the mountain air. I believe this girl, whose mom owned an occult shop and had given me a strange piece of jewelry, was tapping into some oracular talent. Color me convinced. What the hell is going on? Scott whispered. He stepped towards my shoulder, making sure to circumvent Kara as he did so. What's she going on about? Shut up, I hissed, wanting to hear the rest. Scott snorted and moved to join Miranda. During Kara's latest pause, the former cop moved across the walkway to the overlook's far end. A wooden bench squatted several paces this side of a low-bearing stone wall. The wall presumably existed to keep careless folks from tumbling down the mountain to, one could reasonably assume, certain death. I watched Miranda settle onto the weather worn furniture, seconds before Scott joined her. I couldn't hear what they were talking about. Logically, I couldn't guess their conversation revolved around Kara, as they kept glancing at her between heated whispers. When I turned back to her, Kara stood barely two feet away from me. It startled me so badly, I gasped, and nearly stumbled as I backpedaled. Her usually rich, blue eyes maintained this vacant glassiness, almost as if whatever life dwelt within her just wasn't there anymore. Eerie. It's hard for people to remain perfectly still. However, she resembled something terribly akin to a living statue. You'll understand my caution then when I slowly reach forward to push on her shoulder. Kara? You okay? The spell broken, awareness finally poured in. Fluidity flowed back into her, causing her limbs to resume their natural movement. Even her chest, which had been the stillness belonging only to the dead, rose and fell with steady breathing. Her long fingers rushed to her forehead pushing the sweat-stained bangs upwards. Oh, I feel, I don't feel so good. She lowered her arm and searched my face. Seeing something amiss, she asked, what's wrong, Danny? Why are you looking at me like that? Huh? Gods, I have a headache. Before answering, I realized the amulet wasn't pulsing anymore. A chill sped through me, blossoming goosebumps to sprout on my arms And the hair to raise on my neck. You were talking about nature and some nameless thing. Don't you remember? You were just talking about it. Her eyes became angry slits the more I spoke. Then, her eyebrows lifted in confusion before narrowing again. You're pulling my leg, dude. All I remember is remarking that it's really beautiful up here. That's all. And with that, she stalked back towards the car and, without another word, climbed back inside. The door slammed shut behind her, drawing Scott and Miranda's attention, as well as that of an older couple who had just gotten out of their old Volkswagen van. Slowly, nodding hello to the couple, I crossed over to the others. They stood, casting quizzical expressions to the car, where Kara sat with her arms folded and her lips curled into an angry snarl. She says she doesn't remember anything she just said. And, so you know, she's apparently pissed off now. Perhaps she is telling the truth, Miranda mused. Regardless, we need to get on the road again. This weather, it don't look so good, Scott said, pointing to the darkening sky. As if to punctuate his words, a jagged light flashed across the sky. And, seconds later, the world shook this corresponding boom if you blink more often than not you miss the fireflies my mom loved the phrase but I never really understood it now I think I get it life is full of tiny moments they seem so inconsequential when we're running through them forgettable blink and they're gone like fireflies. My life, all this bizarre insanity. They were the bright insects flashing bright for a heartbeat, then gone. Outside the car, torrential rain assaulted the world. Our wipers couldn't swish fast enough to see out the windshield, so after a few dozen terrifying close calls with the winding curve, Scott parked in a deserted rest stop. Dense fog competed with the rain. I envisioned a contest between horror movie cliches. In one corner, a dark and stormy night, and in the other corner, a mysterious rolling fog. Who would win? (sighs) Not us. An angry gusting wind punched the car. Other than when it rocked the automobile on its axles, we paid the wind no more mind than we would a toddler throwing a tantrum. Besides, My mind circled emotional drains meant only for my turbulent, unforgiving sorrow. Now that we weren't in perpetual motion, my sorrows started to return in full force. Since i left the funeral, no, since the following morning, I'd been in a state of perpetual motion. Not enough time to acknowledge my own sorrow, let alone deal with it. Now, with nobody engaged in conversation, in a storm raging beyond our mobile tomb, I couldn't hinder my thoughts' progression downwards. Like mom and fireflies. Like broken promises to a brother I loved and could never tease again. Maybe the monsters weren't real. Maybe all this was only a lunatic schizoid attempt to completely destroy a family and not some cannibalistic creature who belonged to some mysterious cabal seeking to claim me. The empty places where my family should have been were real. Time would only partially fill them in with patchwork illusions. Memories meant to honor the real things, yet lacking the substance necessary for sustainability. To say I miss my brother, and my mother, to admit they had gone where there was no round trip ticket, that hurt, (sighs) nah, that fucking broke my heart. I brought the stack of letters with me, you know, the ones Scott had found on Mom's bed, instead of hidden in the bottom of her closet. Events had progressed so rapidly since then; I'd nearly forgotten about them. But good old Scott—he had taken them home when I had fled to Kara's house, and he had handed them over after my talk with Miranda. Still, the time hadn't felt right to read any of them. I mean, I assumed I knew what I'd find. I want you, Nadia. Daniel is my son, Nadia. I'll kill you and your little shits, Nadia. You know, the basics. Somewhere in my post-teenage mind, I guess I gleaned useful details. I, I just didn't want to read any more of Todd's ramblings. And can you really blame me? A particularly bright flash illuminated the Carolina skyline as I leaned forward where my backpack lay on the floorboard between my feet. I had packed the letters in with a change of clothes, some traveling essentials like deodorant and oral hygiene products, and writing utensils. You never can be too prepared after all. Anyway, I wasn't absolutely sure whether the letters, which remain in relatively unwrinkled white envelopes were in any particular order. I had my guesses. Knowing my mother, I figured she had most likely kept them arranged with the oldest one up front and proceeding in chronological order so I'd find the most recent letter in the back. Honestly, going through all these seemed an ordeal too daunting to partake in right then. I didn't want the others to read any before I did either, so I took time to verify my hypothesis. A faint smile tiptoed onto my face when I realized Mom had arranged them as I thought she might have. What's that? Kara asked. She leaned forward, resting her hands on the headrest as she craned in to see. Nothing, I lied. Scott didn't turn towards me, but I could see him watching from the corners of his eyes. His lips drooped in disapproval. Still, he didn't say anything. Instead, he glanced. Fleetingly into the rear view mirror. Not to meet Kara's eyes, rather, he met Miranda's. A half formed thought rollicked around my distracted thoughts. Something about a kindled relationship between those two. It wandered to my mind's forefront, only to slip backwards into the formless void with other useless thoughts. Doesn't look like nothing, Kara pressed. She leaned farther, so far. I could feel her breath on my neck. Flushed with irritation, I made to berate her. But before I could, Miranda interjected. There are words left for him. Words left by his mother to help him find answers during these dark days. Just leave him be, Kara. I suspect we shall spend a fair span of time here while we wait out the storm. Fine, it was just a question, the artist muttered, dropping backwards into her seat. Decency dictated I should have thanked the spectacled woman. I, however, had already plucked two letters, the newest and oldest, from the stack. The others I returned to my pack. I held one in each hand. The left-handed letter was dated. Holy shit, it was dated the same day my father had died. The right-handed letter, well, It appeared to have been postmarked shortly before Todd murdered the rest of my family. Bile filled my mouth and my nostrils flared. Which to choose? The first then. Painstakingly, I drew the thin paper into open air as three sets of eyes watched me. My heart stammered as if I were opening some ancient tome, risking forgotten secrets to the whims of open air. The paper did not crumble, it did not tear. No, it yielded to my fingers as I unfolded. Silently, I read. Heart of my heart, soul of my soul, Nadia, wondrous Nadia. I know you are reading this, my dearest. Are you tracing the papers where my own fingertips have roamed? How do these words compare to those that..., ugh, I cannot utter his name? I love you. I know you share my love. Did you not tell me so just the other night, after we made love? It is much better than the first time. I've learned how to please you since then. But, ah, uh, you don't remember. You've locked them out somehow the memories that is. Was it the witch woman? But no, not her. I don't feel her white magics on you. Have I told you how much young Daniel reminds me of myself? I know you have claimed he looks like... like the other. I disagree. I see no real similarities, only superficial traits shared by untold millions. Even the other resembles me to some degree. We could, in another time, have passed as brothers. (sighs) But I do hate him. Well, I did hate him. Back to Daniel though. The boy is growing into a headstrong young lad. (laughs) I can see a glorious future for him. Yes, a promising one. There will be some who watch out for him in my absence. Friends who remember who you were, friends who know what I am. I should tell you that your husband is dead. He is actually far more clever than I gave him credit. Hmm, pity. It's a pity he did not know your truth. He might not have come home, or he might have come for his spawn and fled, as the vermin are wont to do. Ah, but vermin rarely do as they should. I will write to you, my dearest. Fear not that the wrong people will intercept them. Tis only a temporary reprieve to soothe the master's woes. Until next we meet, adieu. This had to be a joke. If I read this correctly, Mom knew more about what Todd Wilkinson was that she let on the night he murdered her. He murdered her? This letter didn't jive with that reality. Why would a monster like this brutally kill the person this letter was supposedly meant for? Uh, I couldn't accept my mother? The good person? The one who everyone loved? The one who believed in all the new age occult bullshit? My complexion must have gone the way of the ghost. Because Scott asked, Danny? Brother, what's wrong? You don't look so good. Fine. I... I'm cool. I barely managed to say. Just... Read something that hit me the wrong way is all. Give me a few. I want to read this other one. Then if... If you're okay with it, I need to go and find a bathroom. He answered, but I didn't hear him. Instead... I dropped the first letter to my feet and freed the second letter from its paper cage. Frantically, with tears forming in my eyes and disillusioned horror in my heart, I started to read. My dearest Nadia, it's been three years since you answered my letters. I've sent them, though I am sure you have noticed there has been far less regularity. I was disheartened to hear you've become friends with the witch woman. Amends, yes? Can you possibly make amends for what you are, my darling? You lied to me all those years. Pretty words. Lovely lies. I do not blame you. Were I in your shoes, I would wish to forget as well. But, beloved, you cannot outrun your devils. They ride with you through the long nights when you would wish for blissful dreams. They comfort you when the Christian God would shun you. Oh, I have heard of the life you've made since I took the other from you. I have heard of the praises garnered by your actions. Impressive, the life you have built on lies. Impressive. The years I have allowed these vermin to keep me in confinement. But soon, oh very soon, I am to walk free upon this earth again. The true master has called for my freedom and I will come to you. I am owed my prize. I am owed Daniel. Unlike Abraham, I shall fulfill my paternal obligations. But dearest Nadia, part of my black and withered heart I know of your efforts to strike away his memories of me. This will not do. This will not do at all. Many nights I wonder how much of the lie you now believe. Have you worn the mask so long you actually believe you are this person? Has he been to Hopland's Cove? Has he seen the depths his mother crawled from? Would he love you the same? if he knew you were little better than me. Yes, I ponder these mysteries in this cell. Ponder, 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 and bide my time. I hear there is a parole hearing next week. I have it on absolute authority that I will be released. So I command you thus. Tell him of the good man that was Todd Wilkinson, I shall show him who truly dwells behind that mask, and I will reap what I am owed. This letter fluttered from my hands and landed atop the other. My insides heaved, and ignoring the rain, I opened the door, leaned out into the cold wetness. Then, as my companions begged for me to tell them what was going on, I emptied everything my poor stomach had managed to hold on to during the trip. When I thought I was finished, my insides lurched, and I spewed more deluge onto the sodden earth. Hurt and betrayal mixed with my physical ailments, the letters provided atrocious insight, a bastardized version of what I thought I had always known, but there were also ragged answers to questions I hadn't known to ask. Questions, I believed, whose origins I had find somewhere in these mountains, in a place that, until recently, I had never even heard of. In a place called Hoplin's Cove. This has been a Black and Grim production. The Black and Grim podcast is an original horror fiction production and cannot be reproduced without written consent from the creators. The author, Grim, owns all rights to the story. Reproduction or use without written consent from the author is strictly prohibited. Thank you for joining us for episode 7 of Danny's River. Has it all been a game? What secrets did Nadia take to her grave? Find out next time. Grim, Why are there new parts on that body?